the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. So again, the title, Son of God, when we read that 37 times in the New Testament, the title, Son of God, it means equality with God. It asserts that Jesus is not just a man, but that He is God. He's God in the flesh. He's God incarnate. There are unbelieving critics who say that Jesus never claimed to be God. Today, as Pastor Dan teaches through the book of 1 John, you'll quickly learn how not only did Jesus claim to be God, But that's the whole reason he was crucified. Jesus told the Pharisees when he was being interrogated that he is indeed the Son of God who will sit at the right hand of the Father. This caused the religious leaders to accuse him of blasphemy and drag him before Pilate. Without having the Son, you won't see the Father. And now, open your Bibles to the book of 1 John chapter 5 as we join Pastor Dan for today's edition of Ring of Truth. In these verses today, it's as if John has brought us into a courtroom and he presents witnesses to us. And he brings these witnesses into the courtroom and and these witnesses, they all testify the same thing, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And we'll talk about what that means, the Son of God, what that title means in just a moment. But John presents witness after witness, and they all have the same testimony. These witnesses all agree that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, under the law of Moses, the Old Testament law or the Jewish law, uh, two or three witnesses were required to establish a a matter, to prove something to be true. Um, I'll just read it to you. You don't have to turn there, but if you're taking notes, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, one witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits by the mouth of two or three witnesses. The matter shall be established. So under the law of Moses, uh, you could not establish something as fact or true based on the testimony of just one witness, because then it's that person's word against the other person. You had to have at least two or three witnesses to establish a matter as, as fact. And that's why John here presents the testimony of multiple witnesses to us, because he is establishing as a fact that Jesus is the Son of God. That's not the testimony of one person. That's the testimony of many that we'll see here in this passage. 
that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, what does that mean? What does that title, the Son of God, mean? Uh, that, that, that title may be confusing uh, for, for some of you to say that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, does that mean that Jesus was uh, born? Or, or, you know, what, is that, what does that mean? You know, so what does it mean that Jesus is the Son of God? And why is it important to establish that as fact? Well, the title, the Son of God, is used 37 times in the New Testament as a title for Jesus. And here is what it means. To call Jesus the Son of God is to assert that He's divine. It's to say that He is God. To call Jesus the Son of God is to say that Jesus is God. Uh, the, The title Son of God denotes equality with God. And let me show you a couple of passages uh, that, that will demonstrate that. So turn with me to John chapter 5. And I want you to see this in your own Bible. John chapter 5, this is when uh, Jesus healed the lame man at the pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem. Not the Bethesda in Maryland. Uh, it's different Bethesda. But this is the Bethesda in Jerusalem. If you remember, those of you that went on the trip to Israel, we went there. I will go there again on the next trip. So if you come along with us, you'll get to see the pool of Bethesda. Uh, but Jesus healed this man. He just, he just kind of walked up to him uh, and healed him. The man didn't know uh, who Jesus was. Jesus didn't tell him who he was. And after he healed him, Jesus left. And so the guy didn't know who healed him. Um, and um, Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath day, uh, which... To, to the that healing on the Sabbath day upset the religious leaders uh, because of their religious rules, uh, not because of what the Word of God says, but they had these man-made religious rules that said you weren't allowed to heal somebody on the Sabbath day. It, re- it really said that. Uh, they said if somebody was, if their life was in danger, you could take steps to preserve their life and keep them alive until the Sabbath day was over, but you couldn't actually take steps to heal the person on the Sabbath day. Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath day, so these religious leaders are very upset with him. Uh, And it says here in verse 16, for this reason, because Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath day, the Jews, and that's probably capitalized in your Bible because it's speaking of the religious leaders. It's not talking about all of the Jewish population in Israel. It's talking specifically about the religious leaders persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. He he broke their rules. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now and I have been working. So he, he proclaims that God is his father, making him God's son. Verse 18 Therefore, the Jews, those religious leaders, sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. That's what it means. The title Son of God means equality with God. And that's what the religious leaders understood Jesus to be saying at that time. The Son of God means equality with God. You're making yourself equal with God when you take that title. Now turn over to chapter 10 of John. And in chapter 10, this is when Jesus gave the the great teaching about being the true shepherd of Israel, 
the good shepherd of Israel, where he talks about a hireling versus a shepherd, and the shepherd lays down his life, and he says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. That whole teaching is here in John chapter 10. And we're told in verse 22 of John chapter 10, now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Jesus gives this teaching in the temple there in Jerusalem, and we're told that it's during the Feast of Dedication, and and that's an important fact to our story. Uh, The Feast of Dedication, or what's called today Hanukkah, which happens around Christmas time, roughly, it commemorated the rededication of the temple in Jerusalem by a guy named Judas Maccabeus. Uh, in kind of the intertestamental period, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It was a a ceremony or a commemoration of the rededication of the temple by Judas Maccabeus. The temple had been defiled. Uh, It had been used for uh, idolatrous worship. A pig had been sacrificed on the idol, which is unclean. It's unkosher. So the temple had been desecrated. And uh, this Judas Maccabeus, he, he... cleansed the temple, he rededicated it to the Lord. And the Feast of Dedication, or Hanukkah, remembers that, commemorates that. Now, why is that important to our story here? As Jesus is there, he's in the temple, he's teaching about being the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. I'm the shepherd of Israel. Why is that important? Because during the Feast of Dedication, the priests would read and meditate upon Ezekiel 34. And in Ezekiel 34, God uh, denounces the priests of Israel for being uh, irresponsible shepherds over the people of Israel and failing to protect the people from idolatry coming in. And it's in that same passage in Ezekiel 34 where God denounces the priests for being irresponsible shepherds, that God also says that he himself would become the shepherd of Israel. Because they failed, the priests failed to be shepherds to the people of Israel. God, Yahweh, Jehovah, says that he will be their shepherd and he will search them out and he will care for them and strengthen them and he will be a good shepherd to them. And so the priests are reading that passage and meditating on that passage and lamenting the failure of the priests that came before them, their failure to be good shepherds. And in that passage as well, there's this promise from the Lord that he one day would be the shepherd of Israel. And here's Jesus now. He shows up in the temple during the Feast of Dedication and he says, I'm the good shepherd and I will lay down my life for my sheep. And so that's why the Holy Spirit tells us in verse 22 that this whole teaching about the Good Shepherd, it takes place during the Feast of Dedication to get us thinking back to Ezekiel 34. So we're told here that verse 23, Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. That's where he's giving this teaching. Then the Jews, again, that's capital in your Bible. It's talking about the religious leaders. They surrounded him. So they gather around and they said to Jesus, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. (laughs) And Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. 
the works that I do in my Father's name, again, he calls God his Father, making him the Son, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Again, he's using that allusion to Ezekiel 34. You're listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City, Maryland. We'll return to the second half of today's message in a moment. But first, here's a word from Pastor Dan. It's my privilege to share the Word of God with you through our radio ministry, Ring of Truth. Thank you for tuning in each day. Hey, I would love to hear from you. Will you take a moment to email me to tell me how these daily studies have ministered to you? I want to hear your story. You can email me through our website at calvaryec.com. That's calvaryec.com. Thanks, Pastor Dan. Now let's join him again for the conclusion of today's edition of Ring of Truth. Look what he says here. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand, out of my Father's hand. Then he says in verse 30, I and my Father are one. So not only did he claim to be the shepherd of Israel, referring to that promise in Ezekiel 34, that God himself would be the shepherd of Israel, Jesus also called God his Father, making him God's son. He claimed to have the authority to grant eternal life, an authority that belongs to God only. And he said in verse 30 again, I and my father are one. Now look at the reaction of the religious leaders in verse 31. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. They want to put him to death because he's claiming to be God. Look at verse 32. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. So again, the title, Son of God, when we read that 37 times in the New Testament, the title, Son of God, it means equality with God. It asserts that Jesus is not just a man, but that he is God. He's God in the flesh. He's God incarnate. First uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, Great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifested in the flesh. God was revealed to us in a human body, as a, as a human being in the person of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ was not just a man, he's the God-man. He's 100% God and he's 100% man. And the incarnation is one of the, the core essential doctrines of the Christian faith. If somebody uh, dismisses the incarnation or denies it, they're denying the faith. They're denying the Christian faith. You no longer have Christianity. So now go back to 1 John chapter 5. And here, John is going to call for us a series of witnesses to the witness stand who testify that Jesus is the Son of God. He says in verse 6, This is he, speaking of Jesus, who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. So the first witness that John calls is, is the water. What does that mean? He's referring to Jesus' baptism. So the first witness that shows that Jesus is the Son of God is the baptism of Jesus. 
Turn with me back to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3. Remember, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. But Jesus' baptism was no ordinary baptism. John the Baptist baptized thousands of people in the Jordan River, but none of those baptisms were like the baptism of Jesus. Uh, You know, when, when I was baptized in my early 20s, I was baptized in Florida in the Gulf of Mexico. And as I was baptized, the Blue Angels, you know, the Navy flight demonstration team, the Blue Angels flew over my head in their delta formation with the smoke on right above our heads, right above the beach, flying down the beach. As I came up out of the water, the blue angels flying overhead. Pretty extraordinary. In fact, as I'm, you know, I was out in the Gulf of Mexico, you know, chest deep water, and the pastor is standing next to me, and he can see the blue angels coming down the beach over my shoulder, and I have no idea they're about to fly overhead. They got the smoke on, the whole deal. And he's explaining to me what baptism represents. Just like when we have a baptism, you know, the old man's dead and buried. You rise up, new creation. And I'm listening intently to him. It's a very, you know, important moment in my spiritual life. And he says, and I'm going to baptize you now in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. And when you come up out of the water, blue angels will fly over your head. And I was like, what? Like, what are you talking about? You know, I was tracking with him till he got to that. And I, I don't remember reading about that in the Bible, you know. But then the blue angels come over. But that's, that, that's, that's cool and all, but it's nothing like what happened at Jesus' baptism. Look in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And again, John's baptizing thousands of people. So if you picture this in your mind, you, know, you, can, you can picture you know, hundreds of people standing along the bank of the Jordan River, going out. You know, a line of people going out into the water to be baptized by John. Then Jesus shows up. Verse 14, and John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? John says, you you should baptize me. I shouldn't baptize you. Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptized. Look what it says in verse 16. And when Jesus had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So as Jesus is baptized, he comes up out of the water. The heavens open up. The Holy Spirit, it says, descends like a dove upon him. Uh, It doesn't say the Holy Spirit was a dove. Sometimes it's depicted that way in children's books or in movies about Jesus. We see like this dove come down upon him. It says it was was like a dove, but it wasn't a a dove. It was like a dove, meaning that it was was gentle. The way the Holy Spirit came upon him, it came upon him. Uh, gently doesn't say it came down upon him like a turkey vulture or like a screaming eagle that chased him all around kind of thing and knocked him over came down like a dove it's gentle and we don't know what that looked like but we do know that those that were there could see it happen whatever it looked like they, they could see it because john talks about elsewhere in the gospel of john he talks about how he saw the spirit descending upon Jesus. So he could, they could see it. The people that are standing there could see the heaven open. They could see the Holy Spirit come down somehow upon 
Jesus. And then there's this voice from heaven. God himself speaks audibly, and the people that are there can hear it. And what does God say? This is my son. This is my son. So God, the father, God himself declared that Jesus is the son of God. So you've got that testimony. You've got that witness. You go back to 1 John chapter 5. You also have the witness of the blood, it says. John said that Jesus came by water and by blood. Water refers to his baptism. The blood refers to his crucifixion. You know, remember the, the Romans crucified Jesus, and the Romans crucified thousands of people, but no crucifixion was ever like Jesus' crucifixion. Turn to Mark chapter 15, and we'll look at that. If you remember the story of the crucifixion, when Jesus was on the cross, there were, there were crowds there that were mocking him and ridiculing him and saying, you saved others, why don't you save yourself? If you really are the Son of God, why don't you come down off the cross, right? And then suddenly we're told, in Mark chapter 15, verse 33, suddenly at the sixth hour, when the sixth hour had come, meaning noon, so it's the middle of the day, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, until 3 p.m. And so darkness suddenly, as they're mocking him and ridiculing him and mocking him, suddenly it just goes dark at noon. And here, the word darkness, it's, it's not referring to like, it's not saying it got darker or that it got shady or that it became overcast. It's not talking about like an eclipse or something like that. It's not, no, it's not that. This word darkness, it, it's, it's the word that's used to refer to like the middle of the night type darkness. Pitch black at noon. So all of a sudden lights go out. Sun disappears from the sky. And it stays that way for three hours from noon to 3 p.m. And you have to imagine, too, there's no electricity. So it's not like they could just flip on a light. This is darkness, darkness. This is total darkness. There's no street lights. It's really dark. For three hours, it's like that. That's a, that's a really long time. And in that kind of darkness, you, you, know, you don't move because <laughs> you can't see anything. You just kind of stay put. And it's completely dark for three hours. And then after three hours of darkness and silence, nobody's making fun of him or ridiculing him now. They're terrified. Suddenly, after three hours... At the ninth hour, in this darkness, they hear Jesus cry out, piercing the darkness, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? First verse of Psalm 22. So all of their minds would have gone to Psalm 22, which describes the crucifixion in detail. He asked me how I know That's all we have time for today on Ring of Truth. Thanks for joining Pastor Dan as he continued his verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of 1 John. If you'd like a copy of today's message, you'll be able to find it on our website, calvaryec.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes so you never miss an edition of this program. Every time we post something new, you'll be notified. We'd love to hear from you, too, and learn how Ring of Truth has impacted your life. Please take some time soon to give us a call at 410-491-4592. Please let us know how we can be praying for you, too. And if God's doing something wonderful, we'd love to rejoice with you. 
That number again to reach us is 410-491-4592. Do you live in the Baltimore, Washington area? If so, you're invited to join us here at Calvary Chapel this Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. for a time of worship and Bible study. Calvary Chapel is located in Columbia, Maryland, only minutes from Route 95, Route 29, or Route 100. Find out more at our website. One more time, that's calvaryec.com. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Tune in next time to learn more from the book of 1 John with Pastor Dan, right here on Ring of Truth. I recognize the